Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Hey friends, I'm excited to announce, as you'll hear me say in just a moment, Michelle Johnson on the show today. One of the things that we did not talk about during the actual podcast that I just want to throw out there, um, as I mentioned several times, Michelle is just a beautiful person inside and out. And she has such a passion for protecting women and for bringing their equal rights to the table. Um, As an awareness, just as a comparison to their male counterparts, Caucasian women earn 80 cents for every dollar. Asian American women earn 85 cents for every dollar. African American and or black women earn 61 cents. Native American women earn 58 cents and Latinas earn 53 cents for every dollar. Michelle was kind enough to provide me with those statistics and I did fact check them to, uh, to verify they are indeed correct. And I think it's really important um, that we're all in this fight together to bring equal pay to the table. In addition to that, we also didn't talk about one of their hidden gems, which is the lovely shop uh, on College Ave in Elmira. It was formerly called the Bargain Hut. Uh, That is one of the other ways that um, the YWCA raises money through this consignment shop. They get 50 cents for every dollar that they sell and people can donate the remaining 50 cents if they want to. Check these places out. Check out www.ywcaelmira.org. It's a wonderful organization, clearly a passion project for me. I think you're really going to enjoy this show with Michelle. And the one thing that I completely forgot to ask her, I was so intrigued, was what her favorite wine is. So at the end of this podcast, stay tuned. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Welcome to Wine and Dime. I have a fabulous guest here today, Michelle Johnson. She is the CEO of the YWCA of Elmira and the Twin Tiers. Very excited to have her as a guest today. And I'm sure you all will just love her as much as I do. I was introduced to her by a common friend. And I feel like she's a sister by another mister. (laughs) Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Michelle and I had a delightful lunch probably about a year, maybe a year and a half ago at this point in time. And 
the time went so quickly and she has such a story that for those of you that have listened to the show before, you know that I believe that our lives are like a vineyard and we all have different vines and we have different flavors and we have different rows and our farm, for lack of a better word, has to be maintained in different ways and we have different influences. So um, I think when you start to hear about Michelle's vineyard, you're going to be um, just thrilled that she's part of our community at this point in time. And she's got some great things in the work. So with that being said, Michelle, tell us a little bit about your background, your development, your vineyard. <laughs> okay, my vineyard. So I was born and raised in Elmira. Um, born... Well, I'm biracial. You can't tell, but I'm biracial. She's beautiful. <laughs> That's what she biracial. is. Biracial. I was born in the 70s when uh, discrimination was illegal, but it still wasn't really condoned. So, um, kind of difficult childhood. Born to a white mother, black father, and kind of faced obstacles in my childhood um, due to race. And looking back now, I know there were obstacles and I know that I overcame them, but when I was young, it was just my life. Mm -hmm. It was just what we did. And we were raised to accept them and navigate them through and just be the best person we could be. So part of my, I think the foundation of my story is that um, um, <laughs> don't worry about it. We're good. <laughs> right. So the foundation of my story is a great student um, track star. And then I became the girlfriend of an older boyfriend and found myself pregnant at 16. So had my daughter at 16 and that's kind of where my story begins, I think. Um, and for those of you that don't know Michelle, she is, how tall are you? Five seven. She's this beautiful lady, five seven woman who I can see as a drag star. <laughs> And you have a daughter. I have a daughter. My daughter is 33. So had her when I was 16 and just was faced with this challenge, this huge responsibility that I had to work through. And I think that's one of the, that's the defining moment of my life was just the, if you're faced with this challenge. What are you going to do? You're either going to go through it or you're going to let it consume you. Mm -hmm. And so honestly being Pregnant at 16 is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And I know that at 16, I didn't realize that. But looking back, I was like, that that defined who I was. And so um, I had my daughter 16, graduated from high school early because I had to. I had to get a job. I had a house. I had this, um, at 16, I thought, fantastic boyfriend. And so I had this ready-made family at 16. Um, and then kind of at 19, realized that's not, that's not the life that was that I was promised. It's not what I was supposed to be. It's not what I wanted for my daughter. And I moved south to go to college and to raise my daughter. And at that point, I realized that I had to leave and I left. And that's another thread or another vine in my vineyard is that I, the strength, my strength, I realized my strength. And courage. And yeah, it was a lot of courage, a lot of strength, but I had this daughter that you know, whatever her she needed was more important than whatever I ever needed. Mm -hmm. And so I had to make a decision for her life. And so I did. Um, went to South Carolina, went to college, um, got a couple college degrees. And then when she was 12, 
I moved back home to Elmira to raise her because I wanted her to grow up in my community. That's a pretty cool story. <laughs> I think what I love about your story, and we, we all have challenges in life. And one of the things that struck me um, about your story is the fact that you just kept pushing through. You just kept, uh, there were setbacks along the way. You came back to Elmira. You became the CEO of the YWCA, which has had some some difficulties over the years. It's an amazing program though. You're taking what you learned during those stages. And when you and I spoke, um, I think I mentioned to you that I grew up with my mom because my mom was just barely 17 when she had me and had this amazing tenacity as well. And so we kind of grew up together and you made the comment that you felt the same way kind of about your daughter. And You know, I think coming back to this area and showing her um, what this community can be together is really encouraging. But coming back at the level you came back to and running a program that encourages the next generation to have that spunk, to have those skills, to support the mothers that are young, middle-aged and older that need their, I would say a hand on their back. Yes. Right. And, and to be really economically supportive in that way of the community. Um, when you made the decision to come back, was it, you said you wanted to, your daughter to be raised here, but you had to have the opportunity to come back here. What was it about the YWCA that you wanted so badly to participate in? Well, actually, um, I took the job at the Y. It wasn't my first job back. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm actually an accountant by first degree. And so I came back for an accounting job in Caldersport, Pennsylvania. All right. Um, which was a very interesting town. And it was a town that also had... Um, and so when I was in South Carolina, um, there's a lot of racial discrimination still in South Carolina. And so we went through that. But then I moved back to Cowdersport, Pennsylvania, which has not, no minorities in the town. So it was also another yeah. another place that we overcame some challenges, my daughter and I. And so my daughter is actually has blonde hair and blue eyes. And so if you see us together, you're not always sure that she's my daughter. So <laughs> she and I together have come, overcome a lot of hurdles. But when the job for the YWCA became open, I wasn't actually, actually when I got the job, and so you said we, I believe the same thing, that everything happens for a reason. Uh-huh. Um, the job at the YWCA wasn't open, and I wasn't looking for a job. Um, I had just heard through a grapevine that someone was interested in running the YWCA, And the woman that I had talked to said, you know, I don't know the job's open. It might come open. And I knew the CEO at the time. And so I just reached out and I said, I hear you might have a job opening. Um, Is it possible for me to come on the board and help with that process? Mm -hmm. And she said, come on down for an interview. And so, <laughs> so can I be on the board to help with that process? Come on down for an interview. Yeah. Not for the board role, but for the CEO right. role. But I thought it was for the board role. And so I just come down and I meet with her and we do a tour. And um, and then I get a phone and she asked for my resume, which is what happens when you're going to yeah. be on a board. And then I get a phone call from the vice president of the board that said, would you be interested in being the CEO of my WCA? And I said, of course, 
Absolutely. I knew nothing about, I'd never <laughs> been a CEO, knew nothing about anything you need to know to take a job. I just said, of course. And um, from that phone call, within two weeks, I had had two interviews with the board. And at that time, it was, uh, the first one was 10 people, the second one was 12. Oh my gosh. And then in two weeks, I had gotten a call that said, would you want, would you accept the job? And I did. So yeah. <laughs> Interview with that many people in the room. Holy crow. <laughs> it was very interesting. And at that time, at the time I took the job, um, the YWCA was actually trying to determine whether they're going to remain part of the National Association or whether they were going to become another organization. What year was that? That was 2015. Okay. So you've been there for four years now. Did we, They're still part of the We are. We are still part of. And part of my interview process was, well, part of, part of no longer being national would mean that you could then put men on the board. And that was part of the decision. Um, YWCA has always been financially strapped. Mm-hmm. And um, there was some concern that without the ability to put men on the board, we were shooting ourselves in the foot financially, that mm-hmm. we could never get money unless we had men on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my interview came and I said, you know, if that's the direction you want to go, then I'm absolutely not your woman. Um, because the reason I want to be here is to empower women. Mm-hmm. I'm here because of the mission. And if you are telling me as a board of directors that we can't, as women, save this organization, then I'm probably not the right person for this position. Um, and amazingly, <laughs> they took that the way that I intended. And I'm the CEO of the YWCA, and we're part of the national organization um, by by directive, we always have a female CEO and our board director that can only be women. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's who we are. We have 13 women on our on our board, so 13 female bosses, and then <laughs> myself, and 98.5% of our staff are female. So, I, you know, it's amazing to me because uh, I served on the board for Fun for Women for a few years. And every time we would talk about the size of the board, which was around 13 to 14 women at any given time, and I said, how do you get anything done? I said, oh, no, no, no. We're 14 very busy women. Yes. We get things done. Yeah. <laughs> and we get them done very efficiently. Yes. And the diversity is great with that number of women because yeah. they come, I mean, at, like for your board, you come from all aspects of the business world, personally, I mean, just that diversity, the richness, the richness in that. Um, these are some really great conversations some, some, some out of the box thinking. Yeah. And I'm sure that from a standpoint, I mean, some have kids, some don't have kids, some have grandkids, some, you know, it's all across the board as to the type of women that you're, you know, they're getting different perspectives on yes. the core mission of, um, of the YWCA and the empowerment aspect of it though is, I think that's the piece that's always been so attractive to me. And I know when you and I spoke the one afternoon, I was, I said, you know, I feel like I have to share some of my knowledge and experience around finance because so many women are, there's not a lot of good education in the school system around that. And so women and young men are coming out, um, you know, uneducated about that particular topic, but you can't save the world unless you pick a place to start. Yes. And so I wanted to start with women. And so you and I have been talking over the, the past year, year and a half, um, some ideas that we've tossed around. And at some point in time, we'll be able to, to share that more 
thoroughly. <laughs> but it is still about that core mission of young women um, heading out and feeling like they can make, they've been given the information to make good decisions and feel like they can move forward. Yes. Yeah. And also if you fail, um, back to being a teenage mom, if you, if you feel like you fail because being a parent is never a failure, but if you hit an obstacle, you just overcome it. You don't let it consume you. It's a bump in the road yeah. and you keep moving. And that's part of why I wanted to run the YWCA is because we have this platform to be able to help women of all ages. And, um, we're actually working on a teenage men, a teenage parent mentoring program to run out of the YWCA because that's really, I mean, that's kind of my sweet spot yes. is getting girls young enough to get them strong, get them ready yeah. for whatever they're going to face. You know, I find that a lot of the young girls that I speak to, they don't, they don't see the mistakes that we've made. Like they don't, think that we've ever made a mistake, right? So when you start sharing with them and about all the different things, you're like, oh yeah, let me, yeah. let me start with, you know, when I was in high school, I mean, I can, I can talk to you more about my failures than I can talk to you about my successes because I remember my failures. I don't, unfortunately, I don't always remember my successes, which mm -hmm. isn't a great thing either. But when they see that you're real, like that you can be successful, but along the way you, you've made the same, everybody has made missteps. I don't care who you are, that that's okay. Like you got back up on the horse and you dusted yourself off and you said, okay, well, that was probably not the best thing that you've ever done, but what did I learn from that? I, I'm, I'm always shocked by how shocked they are that, you know, we've done yeah. those kinds of things in our life. And you know, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about when when you were growing up, you said, um, you know, you, first of all, you had the challenge of growing up in a biracial family and we're talking in the 70s, so <laughs> which doesn't sound that far away yet. That seems to be lately I've used that excuse. That was the seventies. <laughs> like that was the seventies. <laughs> like why did those pictures look the way they were when I was a kid? Oh, because it was the seventies. <laughs> um, the, the, even the conversations around money back then in the household, in the community, but let alone, I mean, we didn't, we never talked about that. That was not something that was ever discussed. I knew that we didn't have a lot of money, but I didn't truly understand the ramifications of that. Is, right. you know, is that the type of family unit you grew up in where, money really wasn't talked about or yes um yeah and i my daughter who's 32 33 whatever she is <laughs> uh, we talk about that i didn't know i was poor growing up um and of course i was a single mom and when i raised her i remember one of my tax returns was nine thousand dollars a year she had no idea we were poor either yeah um and so Your income was nine thousand yes my income i was in college um and she was in, uh, she, I was in college and she was in daycare all day. And then I cleaned offices at night. My income was $9,000, um, which is part of the financial conversation. Because I always say to my kids, don't follow that part because I have so many student loans that, you know, I'll pay for them for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah. So when I was growing up, we never talked about money and we were poor. Um, so not only were we in this weird biracial place, but we were also poor. Mm -hmm. And um, 
some of our poverty was because my mother, who was white, um, she was treated differently. She just, she just was. Um, she, my father had a good job in a factory, but my mother just kind of went from place to place. Mm-hmm. So we were poor. We didn't know it. Um, mm-hmm. But the work ethic, though, I think is what I'm hearing you say that, you know, they, your dad worked hard, your mom worked hard. You saw that piece of it. And yeah, it was an expectation within the household. Yeah, it was one of those houses where you always fix everything, spit and duct tape. But I still do that now. Um, I fix the YWCA. If you give me a roll of duct tape, I can fix anything. They do say you can fix the world with it. You can. You can. So, yeah, we, we worked. My dad worked hard. Um, and, you know, he was the one that taught me that you just navigate through obstacles. Nothing can stop you except yourself. So you have to. If you can't go that way, go a different way, turn around, go backwards, whatever it is, but you need to get over the obstacle and just do what you need to do. When you decided to go to college, um, you said you were 19 when you decided to go to college. So you moved down to South Carolina and go to college, you and your daughter, your parents stayed up here. Um, My my parents had split actually. So my father was in South Carolina. So we went to his house. So yes. there was some support from that perspective. Yeah. And that was one of the driving factors, I'm assuming, that took you down there. Yeah, because at that point, it was just, where can I go to <laughs> raise her and then do what I need to do for myself so that she can have a better life? Is there pieces of that that you were able to pass along? I'm sure there are pieces of that that you were able to pass along to your daughter that she now, you know, looks back on it and says, well, I remember when we did this or I remember that at that. Because she would have been three at that point in she time, three. right? Um, are, are there little tidbits that she recalls or ever brings to the table? About she that does. And she tells some stories that I can't remember, but these fantastic things. But the one that warms my heart is we wrote, we went to South Carolina during on bus. It's a 24 hour ride oh, with a three year old on a bus with a million and one stops and starts. And all she can remember is I taught her to, to tie her shoes on that bus ride. <laughs> So from New York to South Carolina, she learned to tie her shoes. That's what she remembers. That's what she remembers. That's what you did to keep yeah. her occupied. She remembers she learned to tie her shoes. And then we got to a bus station and then we went to a grocery store, which was the Piggly Wiggly. And, you know, anyone knows South, there's Piggly yeah. Wigglies all over. She remembers Piggly Wiggly and has a big picture of a pig on it. Um, and she still, to this day, she'll tell people that story. I mean, she loved moving to South Carolina. She has no idea any any obstacles we've ever faced. She doesn't know them. Yeah. Um, she actually has a very positive story about a lot of things that were obstacles that she just has no idea that how much how taxing they were on you. Yeah, yeah. They were an adventure. They were. They were. So when you think about taking the role as the CEO, <laughs> interviewing for the board, <laughs> and then taking the role as the CEO. I, I think I hear a lot of what your life prepared you for in taking that role. So you've been in that role about four years now at this stage of the game. And for people that don't fully understand, I, I think a lot of people in the Elmira area and surrounding area actually think of the YWCA as the pool. Yes. That's <laughs> what they think of. Yes. And what I've learned is that that is a piece of it, but the programs that are offered at the YWCA are really amazing. I mean, really amazing. What are some of the things that you are most proud of? What are some of the things that you 
love for the community to make sure that they know about this. Um, all of it. All yeah. Of it. Um, well, and so we'll start with, we have um, four different programs. Um, we do have the pool. We have the only indoor therapy, therapeutically heated pool in Elmira. Um, and we've run the pool for 65 years. So we do have the only indoor pool. Um, but what I say is the heart of the wise. We do services for women with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So we have a pink boutique, which um, employs the only certified mastectomy fitter in the Twin Tiers, mm-hmm. um, which means she's nationally certified to help women um, with a prosthesis. And then she also, her services are all free. She also will help women order bras um, so that they can feel whole again. Um, she deals with women in one of the most vulnerable places mm-hmm. of their lives mm-hmm. and she helps them feel whole again. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing transformation to see women come in mm-hmm. for their first visit and not really want to interact with anyone. And they quietly say they're there. Mm-hmm. And then when they um, have their appointment with her and then she fits them and no one leaves without a bra and a prosthesis, um, they're completely different when they come out. I mean, they're standing tall and they're smiling, they're laughing. They're greeting everyone on the way out. Um, and then they stop and have a conversation at the front desk with anyone that's there. And then they leave with a hug because she gives everyone a hug. And it's just, it's an incredible transformation that, um, I think self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it, it changes women's lives and that is of all the programs that we do. Like that is the one that I'm so proud of. And it, it's, None of the programs that we have are are done to make money. That one is, I mean, it's it's maybe a break even program because mm-hmm. our services are free. But it's just it's an incredible thing that when I came to the Y uh, four years ago, they were it was on the chopping block mm-hmm. because it didn't make money, and they were trying to find a way to have it make money so that they could save it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a nonprofit, there's a lot of programs that we and any other nonprofit do that don't make money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a community service. Mm-hmm. We are there to serve the community. Mm-hmm. And we have, and I feel like we have to find a way mm-hmm. to fund that. And so that program is, I mean, even, and it makes me tear up every time I talk about it. Like that's an incredible program. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do youth services. We have a young, we have a gentleman that goes to the high school and mentors about 25 kids um, twice a week, twice a week. I think I met him, right? Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Um, and so his, his role is kids 12 and up and he, um, mentors them. And in Elmira, that means, and I think Elmira in any, any rural area, any area close to us means just making sure they get to school. Mm. And so whether it's a wake up call and then he meets them at the front door and walks them to their first class, he mentors kids, um, during the school year. Wow. And he has a list of about 25. And so we, we, debrief every Friday. And so he's got a lot of tales to tell, but he makes sure they get to class. He makes sure that they don't fight. And if they do fight that he's with them in the hearing. So there's a lot of things that happen with teenagers that we just, oh, it's become, I mean, these are, I must have at risk kids to a certain extent. Um, his aren't always at risk. Some okay. of them are in the middle and okay. maybe well, impressionable. Yeah. And so our team for our team, department really tries to focus on the kids in the middle. Um, Because I think they are at risk. I think they could be any direction they could be. Right. They could fall. Yeah. Wherever the wind, whichever direction the wind flies, they can go. So yeah, he has a core 
core group of kids that he works with um, during the school year. And then in that department, we also do father-daughter dances and mother-son dances, which are the cutest things ever. Um, we do a lot of, uh, this during the summer, we do summer camps. We just finished uh, week-long summer camps. Uh, the most popular camp we do right now is a babysitting camp. And oh, so young, young kids can... Young, young kids can get CPR and first aid certified. Um, and so uh, to package that, it's a babysitting camp. And actually, last year, we had two young men do it who didn't really care about the babysitting, but they wanted the first aid CPR. But they did en- enjoy being in the class with the 10 other teenage girls. <laughs> I bet they so, did. <laughs> so it works out well. So yeah, in our team department, we do a lot of um, just kind of... It's mentoring, and mentoring can be a bunch of different forms, but just kind of making sure the kids are okay because yeah. that's a vulnerable age of 12. Yeah. It's kind of you can go one way or another. Yeah. Um, Things are changing in people's bodies. They are. <laughs> they they are. And there's a lot of influence going on there that's not always positive. <laughs> um, we also have a pre-K. So we have a New York State certified pre-K, and we have 22, 3, and 4-year-olds in the building that are cute as buttons um, every day. And in our – it's a – it's a common core curriculum. Okay, so they're learning early that. They're learning, yeah. yeah. It's taught by a New York State certified teacher. Um, but they are so cute. And so they interact with us, too. So when you come to the Y, you're part of the family. Aww. And so I go up on Mondays and I read books to them. And then on Wednesdays, they swim. So we all go to the pool so they can show us how they can jump in and splash. So they really become 22 of our own kids. Um so you can never have a bad day at the YMCA. <laughs> just just go to the kids. Yeah. <laughs> so the pre-K. And then our biggest program is Kids World. It's an after-school program. So during the school year, we uh, provide care for about 750 kids a day after school. Gosh, I just, yeah. I heard that number. I think you mentioned it at the luncheon, right? Yes. At the tribute to And I... I was like, she, I think I leaned over my husband and said, did she just say 750? And he, yeah. he said, yes. I'm like, a day? <laughs> That's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. We have 16 sites um, spread out throughout Shemong and Schuyler counties. Um, and most of our after school sites are at school buildings. Okay. And so we work with the school district and we usually, it's usually an elementary school. Okay. And we occupy the gym or the auditorium after school. Um, so from 2.30 till 6 o'clock. Our staff are there to take care of kids and we do homework help and then uh, they get a snack and then we run them around and make them tired before it's time <laughs> to go home, try to help the parents in that way. Um, but So last year was 750 kids a day. This year we've actually added some morning sites. We do morning care and then we do after school. So we're adding 150 more oh for goodness. this coming academic year before school. So these, uh, this is a place where if mom and dad both work or if they're single parents, this is a place kids can hang out so that they can complete their work day and in a safe environment without having the big bill of, I mean, a big, big daycare cost. Yes. There's some costs associated, but some of those daycare centers, especially for the age group you're talking about is very expensive. Yes. We are the largest child care provider in Shimon County. We're also the least expensive child care provider in Shimon County. And it Um, works on a sliding scale to a certain extent, correct? um, We do work with Shimon County, um, actually any county that provides child care subsidies. Okay. Um, We do take child care subsidies and then we do try to do scholarships. So it's a private pay, but we also try to do in-house scholarships. 
And um, we're always trying to apply for grants to get scholarship money too, yeah. so that we can help um, families that may not be, that may make too much for subsidy, but also can't provide mm-hmm. the full cost. What is the, on average, like if they had, if somebody had to pay full cost, what would that look like? Like in your program, not outside. Um, for the for a month, it's two hundred forty dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, less than seven dollars a day. Um, yeah, for the yeah for the snack and and the homework assistance. And and I looked at Common Core homework. I don't think that I would pay a lot more than that for someone to help me with that. Oh, I just see it. the reason I was chuckling is because I've seen what other people pay for one child for one week, and it's more than two hundred and forty. Yeah, nine dollars. So that's a lot. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's a very well priced program. Do you get people who sponsor? Do you get, or is it mostly through grants that you get the funding? Um, actually, we get some grants through funding, some funding through grants, but most of it is um, just private pay. It's just people paying out of okay. pocket, um, and it's it's an expanding program, and it's really the program that we have that helps fund for fund our other programs that don't. Mm-hmm. make money mm-hmm. and so we're always looking to expand yeah that piece. our ability to pro- provide child care and we're also in a county where we have a deficit of 500 child care slots a day 500 a day a day yeah i just did um i just actually applied for a grant and so that's i just got that information from my child care council um they gave me some stats that they've gotten 500 calls for slots that they're unable to fill there's just not a lot of childcare providers. Childcare is a really hard business to be in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we've been doing childcare for 35 years. And so we built our business from a hundred kids yeah. to where we are now, but it's really, it's very regulated. Yeah. It's very costly. Well, for safety. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I just, I'm sitting here listening to these numbers thinking I can't handle more than two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whenever I take my nieces or nephew, it's like two is the max. <laughs> More than that, there has to be additional adults around because <laughs> I can't. Yeah. You know, I was at my sister's house on Friday and she has uh, five kids. And um, one of my brothers was at her house as well and he has two kids. So there were seven children running around. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot. <laughs> I'm like Stephanie, uh, my head would just pop off. And she's like, some days it does. <laughs> but then there were four four adults for those five or seven children. And I was still like, you know, I had to go home and decompress. <laughs> the New York state ratio is one adult to 10 children, Ooh, gosh, 10 school age children. So <laughs> whew, making me sweat. Over yeah, here. I, know. <laughs> I know. I like to go and visit them. I don't stay that long. I like to go and visit a little more than I could handle or even try. <laughs> so what would you say, um, I mean, so there's 500, 500 um, per day child care deficit. Obviously, you guys are trying, you're adding a morning session. You're trying to grow the program so that you can help accommodate that aspect of things to keep some of the other programs going. You, you raise money for grants and to, or you get money through grants, through private donations to a certain extent as well. Um, what are the other ways that people can either donate or fundraise or what are, what are some, I know the luncheon is a, is one of the ways too, but I mean, that's a lot of work for the amount of money that you get, I think. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, we're always doing small fundraisers and we're actually, 
looking to start a campaign to help us expand to another location. Um, we are at capacity in our current building. Um, during the summer, we do a summer enrichment program as well. And we have a hundred children a day during the summer. And that's our, that's our license capacity. If we could fit more kids in, we would. Mm -hmm. And there, there's mm -hmm. definitely the, the demand for that. Um, so I think I always tell people, if you can support any of our programs, um, if we've got a varied amount of programs that if one of them is your passion, mm -hmm. reach out to us. If you want to donate money to the breast cancer mm -hmm. patients, do that. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to, for the after school sites, we have 16 sites and we provide snack every day. Mm -hmm. If you want to contact us and say, hey, I'd like to donate a week of snack. Mm -hmm. What is it that you serve the kids? Mm -hmm. We can do that. Mm -hmm. um, waters, juices, anything. Um, you know, the snacks for 750 kids a day. Um, <laughs> that's that's got to be a big part of the budget. <laughs> it is a big part. And then also for the morning program, we have about 300. Last year, we had about 300 in the morning. This year, we're adding 100. So it's 450 breakfasts every day. Um, so we feed kids a lot. Yeah. Um, and we give them as much as they want. So after school, they're hungry. So we do, yeah. sometimes kids get three snacks. We do the same thing in the summer. In the summer, we do free lunch for kids. And then we do a morning and an afternoon snack. So we're always feeding kids. Um, I think that's one of the easiest ways to help us. Okay. If someone wants to, to adopt a site, um, yeah. we have 16 sites. If, that, if you want that to be your site and you want to say for a month, I provide snack or I provide breakfast, mm -hmm. we're able to do that. Yeah. What would something like that typically cost somebody that's interested in doing uh, like a, um, I would say very... as little as, as little or as much as you want. Each mm -hmm. site has, um, some sites have 30 kids. Some sites got the kids. Depends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in 30, 30 juice boxes or a case of 24 waters, mm -hmm. you know, it could be something that costs you $5. Yeah. Yeah. So anything helps. I mean, with that amount of kids, anything that we can do <laughs> helps. Um, games, they, this, we are actually ramping up to supply all the sites. So 16 sites get new, new games, new markers, new paper. Every How year. fun. Yeah. <laughs> the shopping part is always fun. Um, <laughs> and so there's always something, when with kids, there's always something that you can do, whether big or small, to help out with the kids. So when we're usually talking about a vineyard, a vineyard has so many different, I mean, you know, you can have a year where, the, where it's raining all the time. And you're like, okay, it's soggy, it's mucky, it's never gonna... <laughs> And then the sun comes out and then, you know, you have the other side where it's dusty and it's dry and it's drought, you know. So you kind of have both, both ends of the vineyard if you think about it. What are the two aspects of the YWCA? What, what, could, what could the community pull together to help from the too much rain and the too much drought? I mean, I know you've talked about the donation side of things, but do you need volunteers or, you know, what are you, what is it that they could come together and, and help? Or is it really just like the, the fundraising aspects of things so that you can get what you need because of the regulation? Um, for the child care, it is definitely a fundraising. Um, volunteers are not actually permitted into the sites, um, unsupervised or for any, for security reasons. Yeah, there. for any large length of time. Yeah. Um, so right now it's fundraising. It's attending our, we have a golf tournament coming up in September, um, our luncheon in June. But we're actually looking for new space. And so I think that's when I will be making a call for help that mm -hmm. we've 
honestly not in the last four years actually made Mm -hmm. um, a serious call for help to help us survive Mm -hmm. um, because of all of our programs are we're we're an organization that we actually earn all of our dollars we do get some fundraising we Mm -hmm. do get some grants but that's probably five percent of our budget okay okay the rest of our money we earn Every service and it's through the daycare for the it most is. part. Yeah. Yep, it's through kids. That's how we earn our money. Yeah. And some very smart women 35 years ago thought to grow the organization, they would provide childcare. And if you remember, we used to, when I was young, we used to be latchkey kids. Yeah, I remember that term. Our original yeah. program was latchkey. Yeah. And so I they, think some still refer to it as that. <laughs> yeah. We started it and all our and all of our programs are also mission based. So they decided that we needed a program that supported our mission, which is empowering women. Mm-hmm. And for us, the way we empower women is to take care of their most precious assets, their children. Um, because if there's no childcare and the kids are sick, mm-hmm. the mom stays home. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, if they're afraid that their childcare is not worthy then the mom may decide that she can't work or she can't get a promotion or she can't travel for work, whatever it is. So, yeah, so um, we are at the Y. We're building on a strong foundation built by women 35 years ago that said, you know what, we can serve women with this, but we can also make sure that we are self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. And so we truly are self-sustaining. We earn all of our, our dollars, which in this environment is really good because there are some sister YWCAs um, Oh, and there there are twenty YWCA's in New York State. We're one of the states with the largest largest population YWCA's. So um, a lot of our sister YWCA's depend on uh, federal and state funding, mm-hmm. and that's really drying nice. up. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then they're put in a position that they don't know how if they're going to be able to stay open or survive. Mm-hmm. And so we truly, I'm very proud that we're very we're self sustaining. Um, we could lose the five percent grants, and we could still survive. You, you've worked through challenges in the past. There's definitely been, um, you know, four years of, of still working through obstacles. There's no question. <laughs> you have a big obstacle coming up, like you said, um, the idea of finding additional space that yes. can help more of these children and more of these women and offer more programs, actually. I know some of the things you and I have talked about really are about limitation and space and we can't do some of the programs that you know are ideal simply because where do you do them (laughs) there's right now there's a really finite amount of that where do you do them space (laughs) available especially because you do want to put it in a very um, safe environment safe space You, you don't want it to seem preachy or judgy or anything like that it's got to be in a a very, um, I guess, space that people are used to, yes. um, comfortable with, in comfortable. order to feel like they can attend and, and that they won't, you know, that everybody's in the same situation and yeah. nobody's going to feel judged or overlooked or anything like that. So that sounds like that's your next big obstacle. And I, <laughs> I think, as you mentioned when we first started talking out, your dad was one that encouraged you to to move those obstacles when you needed to. And um, you had mentioned prior to us starting to record that the YWCA was started by 12 women in the community. um, And they felt that this was needed. And what uh, what year is the YWCA in at this point in time? 
Um, we are in our 132nd year. Yeah, so 12 women. 12 women. 132 and, years ago. Yes. Put that one in perspective. Yes. <laughs> Decided they were going to form the YWCA. And now your board is 13, you said? Yep, 13 13 women. Um, who have decided they want to expand <laughs> the services to the YWCA. So I think we're, we're going to hear about some great things <laughs> that are about to come. Yes, so. we've, we've come full circle. Yes. <laughs> so are, is there any piece of advice that you would give to, to the listeners um, that you feel that, you know, big lessons that you've learned in your life that you'd like to pass on? Um, well, I think it's kind of general, but I... When I ran track, we had a coach that said, if you're not strong, you can't win. And he used that because none of the girls wanted to lift weights. We didn't want, we didn't know why we should go to the weight room. We're sprinters, we're just fast. We don't need to lift weights. But we all realized that once we did hit the weight room and we were stronger, our chances of winning were much higher. And so I think that that applies to life. If you are stronger, you can meet your goals and it doesn't matter what obstacles are put in your place. If you're stronger, then you will achieve. And for me, it's been an evolution because I've spent my life kind of in service to my daughter. Um, and now I'm in service to YWCA, um, which is the best job I've ever had in my life and just kind of is my calling. And I think that four years in, I'm realizing that for us to achieve as an organization, I have to achieve as a person. I have to start making myself stronger um, because I think running a nonprofit, you kind of lose yourself. You're mm-hmm. just kind of, it's it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, you live, breathe, and sleep, mm-hmm. whatever happens. Yeah. And for us, we run a, a pool in a pool. <laughs> if you think about all the pools in the community, you realize there aren't that many. And there's a good reason for that. Um, they're fraught with... Um, with any issues, kind of, yeah, <laughs> any kind of crazy issue. So I'm, I'm realizing that four years in that I have to focus on myself. I have to focus on what, go back to why I came here and what my mm-hmm. passion is, because that's my strength. My strength is the passion that I feel to make sure that women are okay, that we have everything that we need to achieve our goals. And the YWCA, the platform of the YWCA is one that I can use to help women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. If you are strong, you will win. Mm-hmm. Um, your goals may change and it may not be the mm-hmm. first goal, but you will win. But you have to be strong. You have to have a foundation that you can build on if you want to achieve anything. And remember to pivot. You know, it's okay to pivot. It's right? okay. It's okay. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think you're the right gal for the job. <laughs> I would love to know based on what you just said, two final questions. What is your definition of success? Um, I think loving yourself. And I've come to that. I didn't start out there, but I have come to that. I think that I am now finally feeling successful. Um, College degrees, jobs aside, um, so proud of my children. Mm -hmm. But I'm finally at a point where I feel like I'm okay. Like I'm proud of who I am. I'm happy about where I am in life. And I think that that's success. I mean, once you can, you can be happy with yourself, I think you're successful. That's a really good point. And I think a really hard thing to achieve because 
I, I personally, anyways, speaking for myself, I always think I have to do better. I always think there's another designation I should pursue, another leg of education I should follow. Um, I have to constantly, and, it, and nobody's asking me to do this. It's me feeling the need to prove myself like I'm better, right? Yeah. Not yeah. better than anybody, like better that way, but not more knowledgeable. Like my now, the stronger I have knowledge, or the more knowledge I have, the the more worth or success I have. And that's interesting that you bring up that point that the definition of success being loving yourself, because I think we have problems with that as we women. Do. <laughs> we definitely do. And I definitely, I mean, you and I talk about this. I'm never sure that I'm prepared enough for an interview or to give a presentation. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think as women, we're always there. We're always worried that we're not enough. Yeah. Um, Why is that? I'd love to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm kind of glad that I'm not alone. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's, um, and I do a lot of advocacy for women and I do a lot of studying for women and talking about women. And I mean, that's the general, that's the underlying thing is women always feel like there's just something else we should do. There's, there's, there's one more thing that we should do. It's never enough. We can do one more thing and then people will love us more, yeah. respect us yeah. more. Or we'll feel better about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I have clients that are successful attorneys and accountants and educators and, you know, all walks of life. And there's, it's when we really get across the table from each other with a glass of wine or something, it's amazing when they, they share how much of a struggle it is for them to like how, what they're, insecurities are and and from my perspective like that's why i love doing some of the talks that i do with women because when it's just us girls sitting around and we're all sharing how we feel from that perspective it's like okay but you know what you're wrong you are actually (laughs) a very strong amazing woman and how good does that make you feel when you walk out after all your friends have just said but I want to be like you. And you're thinking, but I want to be like yeah. you. So it, it just helps. I think when you, when you do kind of surround yourself with those supportive individuals that love you for who you are yes, and can help you with a little bit of self love, even though it's such a challenge. <laughs> it is for all of us. So the yes. final question is, um, you know, I love to ask this question about what what is it that most feeds your soul? I it's the people around me. It's always mm-hmm. people. It's I always did not people. lead up to that. <laughs> it's always people and, and whether personally, professionally, I love to just kind of watch the people in my life my my lives, my mm-hmm. life and just see glimpses of greatness that they don't see. Yeah. Um, I have um, staff that just have no idea that when they're like with the woman who does uh, breast cancer, Carolyn, she's probably one of the nicest, most beautiful people I've ever met in my life. And to see her interact with someone mm-hmm. and she's, and afterwards I'm like, you are just so amazing with people. She's like, that's just my job. It's just what I do. It's just who I am. Um, the people I mean, and, and any person, if, I mean, even if you're in the grocery store and you see someone doing that kindness, it's like mm-hmm. people are so amazing and we never, any of us give ourselves enough credit for it. Yeah. And there aren't enough people in the world, I think, that recognize those kind of things. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. 
it's that sense of, I saw in a, I was down in Florida and I saw this woman who helped an elderly man to his car, put the groceries in. And he just kind of looked at her and he said, God sent you to me today. And it was just, she's like, oh, it's no big deal. I would help my dad. It's the same thing that you're talking about. I mean, it was a rent. She just, she wasn't asked. She just helped him along. And, you know, it, what we should be doing is saying, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm honored to have helped you, but we do just sort of blow it off, don't we? Well, I think that's the challenge that we need to start <laughs> honoring <laughs> those wonderful acts of kindness. And um, I'm going to put in a plug and say, I know an organization that needs that. <laughs> we love acts of kindness. We love acts. Of- we also like to help people yes. um, with acts of kindness. And so I'll put in a plug for nonprofits. Nonprofits are the place that people can go. If you want to do good, but you're not sure mm-hmm. how you can do it, yeah. call any nonprofit. Whatever nonprofit floats your boat. I mean, nonprofits are meant to serve the community. And so if you're looking to do something and you just don't know what you want to do and you want to do a McDonald's gift card or anything like that, call any organization you want. I mean, people that have animals need towels. They need your old towel, your sheets. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything that you want to do to help the community and you're not sure where to go to do that, Call any nonprofit in the book, and if they can't help you with that, they can refer you to someone else. Well, we love that you took the time out of your busy day, just back fresh from vacation, (laughs) 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 Um, to spend time with us and share your journey through your vineyard. And I can't wait to hear part two of this journey. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.